Hello and welcome to the Energy Intelligence Global LNG Podcast. I'm Mike Sultan, editor of LNG Intelligence, one of the components of our global LNG service. And and hi everyone, uh, it's Ian Nathan here, uh, director of Gas and LNG Research. So happy to be with you, Mike, once again for for a great podcast. And our subject is uh, energy at war. Um, and uh, what we're going we're gonna to go into is, you know, what what does a what does a war, wartime energy policy look like? historically actually what does wartime energy policy look like now and and what should war what should a wartime energy policy look like and and you were telling me you thought the the uh the world war ii example was apt or at least uh, somewhat apt for for uh, for our current situation here well and you know and it's interesting mike because you know when we when we talked about it you know i it it really seemed to be that uh by by taking a a wartime uh you know, sort of a wartime theme or, or looking at this from a wartime point of view, you know, seem to, to add a little more urgency uh, to, to the conversation as opposed to just being one of those situations where prices happen to be really high. Yeah, I was, and I, I so I took a look at, I did, did some reading, which, and in World War II, they had, I mean, the, you don't always want to be going back to World War II, for examples, but they, they had a uh, uh, an energy supply response that was interesting and could serve sort of as kind of a baseline and tell tell people how we're thinking about it. Uh, I, I mean, at one point during the war, uh, German U-boats were sinking U.S. oil tankers on the Atlantic seaboard. So the U.S. completed this 1,200-mile oil pipeline from Texas to the, U- to the U.S. Northeast, and they did it in a year and a half. Uh, and they got, built another line for, for gasoline and refined products that took less than a year. So that, that way the oil tankers didn't have to go around and the U.S. Navy could focus on protecting transport across to Europe. Then there was another project I read about where the Allies, they needed to come up with something to transport oil across the English Channel to support the, you know, tanks and mechanized troops after D-Day. So they came up with what they called Operation Pipeline Under the Ocean, which came out to be Pluto, I believe. Um, and it was a, it's a flexible oil pipeline and what you had, and they do more of it, they, they've done more of it since, but if you watch a YouTube of this thing, it's like a giant floating spool of thread that churned across the channel laying pipe. But the, the point of all that is just to make is that there was really a, a robust, creative build out res- response to the situation. And, and now we have four, we have like 14 months until the winter of 2023, 24 which was, that's what analysts are most worried about, 14 months. And now the question is, you know, are we seeing, what are we seeing? Are we seeing anything even like this in Europe? You know, what does, how, where does, yeah. So like, so tell, talk about where does wartime policy stand today? Right. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's an important question because, I mean, and to be clear, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily comparing uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine to, to World War II, but I think the implications are, are still the same, which is that, you know, you you have you have a significant conflict, uh, you know, which is which is really causing havoc, uh, you know, or amplifying the the already existing havoc across, um, you know, not just gas but but all all energy markets, and uh, you know, and I, I and I think that's why we're having this conversation, and um, and and you know, we're asking, well, what what sort of wartime policies are are there? What have we seen? What do we expect to see? Uh, I think you're asking the right questions here, and. Yeah, I think if we if we think about it for a second, you 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 just recall that uh, you know last year the market was already getting out of control, but there was no there was no war there, so we can we can leave twenty twenty one behind, you know. But this year it started, uh, or I should say that at least when the conflict uh, you know broke out when the when the Russians invaded Ukraine, you uh, you know you saw I guess the first line of defense was uh, a lot of plans. You know, there were a lot of suggestions and and outlines for what 
you know what can be done on the supply side on the demand side uh, uh, and and you know at the time you know that was all very important but arguably the market did all the, the hard work <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. I mean you know for, for months we, you know we, we I think we just saw that um, you know that that really not there's not a whole lot in the way of actual uh, implemented policy but the market was uh, was doing things like attracting you know the incremental volumes to Europe and uh, you know driving a slowdown in, in demand and in some ways you can also argue that Moscow did a lot of the work for Europe as well uh, you know by mid-year with uh, with regard to uh, you know, physical supply impact. So, uh, you know, you have a lot of these things that, that have already materialized, you know, without the need for, you know, for hardened implementable or discernible uh, policy. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah. Destination flexible goes both ways. It goes a pandemic low to a war high, you know? Well, exactly. But, 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 but then we have to ask, so, you know, so, so, you know, where, where does that leave everybody? Um, and like you said, I think you teed it up perfectly by, you know, by highlighting that, uh, you know, we, we've now reached the point where we're beyond the immediate shock. We, we seem to be now, you know, uh, looking at, uh, you know, sufficient storage to get through this winter and attention is now focused on uh, moving on to, you know, next year, next winter and, uh, and beyond. So that, I think that's a really good place to, to start asking where, where where does where does policy stand today in terms of wartime? I mean, if if we are looking at it with that sort of seriousness, you know, where where do things stand? You said you summed it up pretty well. But you were saying it was. Uh, I mean, it's really the focus is really on sort of consumer protection measures, not really long term supply. The kind of kind of robust supply response at the, so far, anyway. Well, and and that's I think that there's some important distinction to be made there with regard to the types of policies that have been implemented and and are perhaps still uh, on the table. You know, for for sure, uh, the consumer protection piece, uh, you know, I think was uh, certainly at the country level in Europe was one that was uh, I think easy enough for each country to you know to do uh, in various different ways and shapes and forms. You know, but there are these bigger questions uh, you know with regard to what's happening next and I think what, what we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of talking, a lot of discussions, a lot of meetings. Um, you know, and um, and we have to ask ourselves uh, what's taking so long. Uh, and, and maybe that's not fair. Uh, you know, may, maybe maybe we're not being very fair because something that you know that that has occurred to me and I think you know probably has occurred to you as well which is that uh, you know, the supply piece of that uh, is not something that can materialize overnight, uh, necessarily. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not, you know, you just don't say, oh, look, there's an invasion in February. Right, right. And then by March, well, we need supply and, and let's have it. You know, so, so, so maybe it's not fair to, you know, to, you know, to accuse, you know, European policymakers of foot dragging necessarily. But, but I do think there's some legitimate questions here, don't you? I can accuse them of several. I can accuse them of various things. I mean, I, the the discussion when they talk about replacing the TTF with something else, with another price, uh, another price index, or or to do a price cap or some kind of flexible different uh, variations of this, the the flexible price cap and all those. I I I can't help but think. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's a crude analogy, but if it's almost as if. It's almost as if, if if a doctor was looking at a patient's heart EKG and see the lines vary going up and down. It's like putting a price cap or changing the thing is is the equivalent to just turning off the EKG machine. It just turns it off. It doesn't doesn't solve anything. It just turns it off. 
So I, I've been very critical of that. I, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's more econ one one but still it's, it's always got, uh, I've always not, not been, uh, been, criti- been critical of that angle. Sure. And, but I think that also brings, that brings up the bigger point here, which is the, uh, you know, the, the fact that there are all these different types of, of remedies that are on the table, you know, some that, uh, you know, you know, some are, are arguably uh, market distorting and, and very problematic for those of us who, who are in this business and follow this business closely, you know, are, are, you know, are, you know, are do, are, we are finding a lot of, uh, of, of real pitfalls with, with that. But again, I think it comes down to the fact that we're now in, you know, at the end of October, you know, we're really on, on winter's doorstep here. Uh, we're how many months into, into this, this crisis and, and the folks in Europe are still, uh, you know, still discussing and meeting and talking and, uh, and arguing about, about what to do. Of course, in an environment where gas prices have, of course, fallen off and uh, seemingly uh, helping to undermine, you know, <laughs> or further undermine questions about, uh, about wholesale market intervention at the EU level. But, but again, I think just it, this all comes back to, to the fact that this is we're so many months in, you know, we're now talking about this now. Uh, and it hardly seems to be the, you know, the, the super urgent wartime, wartime effort. And that's, I think that's what we're really stuck on here. I think that's what we're really trying to, we're trying to, you know, connect the dots between the sense of urgency that we seem to be getting. And, and, and then I'm sure, I mean, I have no doubt exists where we know that, that there's, there's an awful lot of pain, uh, you know, happening in Europe with, with, with the way prices have behaved this year. We know this across, you know, several different uh, you know, uh, consuming segments, you know, industry and, and, and power and at the residential level, we, we know this, but what, what, what is it that can be done or what is it that we, you know, we, you know, we think should be done, you know, to, to really, you know, to make this look like it is a wartime effort. Right. And we should clarify that this applies, you know, it applies to both sides of the Atlantic. It, it applies to, we, we, there's policies is lacking on both ends. Uh, and both both sides are are you know I'm not so sure the American administration is is uh, you were talking earlier about mixed signals. There's certainly uh, very mixed signals on what they would what they would like to do or or it's not really helping. I don't think. Uh, and that 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 really brings up another important point, which is uh, of course this is not you know you know clearly not just a Europe centric. Uh, or it is Eurocentric problem, but it's not a, 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 only a European problem. And uh, and uh, and even you know predating the conflict, you know the mixed signals coming from the U.S. have have been troubling with regard to uh, you know the, the the direction and and the conflict. I don't think really has has really helped clarify signals coming from uh, from the White House with regard to supporting uh, the supply effort. Uh, and that's something that is, uh, you know, we've been discussing on and off for, for several months. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think, and, and that's, that's, that's also been a, a big, a big theme, um, in the industry, uh, with regard to remedies. Uh, and it was a theme in our, at our conference in London a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that is the supply oriented remedy and the, the, the policy requirements to, uh, encourage and stimulate supply, you know, is, is clearly, uh, you know, uh, you know, clearly a, a an imperative that has has seemingly yet to be met. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I picture uh, my pictures of a, of a president with a hard hat on, with the sleeves rolled up at at a pipeline opening. I mean, that's how important it it, it really is. But uh, we, we it's not something we're likely to see. 
Well, and, and, and again, you know, just to, just to be fair here, um, you know, I think all that's very important and I, and there is a point to be made about, um, about, uh, from a policy point of view, uh, you know, uh, more encouraging, uh, uh, signals, better support for infrastructure, uh, you know, and, and the sorts of, um, the sorts of alterations to, to regulations that would, would, would grease the wheels or spin, you know, or, or, you know, or spur the, the sort of investment and decisions that need to be made to, you know, to increase that supply. But I think, you know, after thinking about this and going through it and talking it out, you know, maybe, and, you know, then again, shifting back to Europe, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to be said about, you know, ongoing resistance from a climate and emissions point of view, because a lot of the conversation, you know, keeps coming back to that, you know, whether it's about, uh, you know, reluctance to, to commit to long-term volumes, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and ongoing uh, climate goals and, and questions about the extent to which uh, coal continues to be welcomed in Europe. I mean, I think it all really, you know, potentially comes back to, to those questions, which might help explain, uh, you know, the what we're, what we're, I guess, perceiving to be a, a much slower pace considering the urgency of the matter. Uh, we were going to get to, uh, you know, what, what, should, what should wartime policy really look like is what we were thinking about. I, I think the, uh, one of the best examples is the uh, basically flotilla of FSRUs heading to Germany. That seems to be uh, appropriate, not appropriate at least for the, uh, for the winter of 2023. And there's the, there's the long-term contracting question that that leaves. But still, that does seem to be one of the best examples of what it should look like. Right. Well, when you have the German government getting involved and, uh, you know, taking ownership uh, and, you know, and, and, and basically, you know, you know, the, the that sort of intervention is, is, is an interesting example. Um, but and I think broadly, you know, if we're, you know, if we're asking what, what, what a wartime, you know, energy policy should look like, you know, I think the unpopular answer um, is one that is more energy security and less about climate and emissions. And again, we heard from several folks at our own conference suggesting that it doesn't have to be a choice. It doesn't have to be either or or one, you know, one or the other. Uh, it's not zero sum. Um, but if we are talking about urgency, if we are talking about you know what needs to done, what needs to be done now, uh, you know, the FSRU you know piece of the puzzle is certainly there. But I think something else uh, comes to mind, and that is something we mentioned a few minutes ago. When I say we, it might have been me. Uh, it might have been you, but some one of us mentioned it a few minutes ago, and it's we. Yes. And, <laughs> it is we. Uh, you know, and and that is uh, you know even even I think um, you know some you know just some some clear signaling. You know, one of the problems uh, that what challenges has been the mixed messaging, uh, and and something we've brought up probably on an earlier podcast, and and certainly with clients and in other venues that uh, if you're if you're se- if you're a seller. You know what? What are you really supposed to make of 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 signals coming from Europe? You know this urgency now, but you know, but 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 a pullback from, you know, from using gas, uh, you know, later on, is not one that that I don't. It's not one that I think expires confidence. So perhaps a, a you know clearer policy signals from Brussels um, with regard to uh, gas commitments. Um, you know, if not outright. Uh, you know, policy that, uh, you know, that that encourages supply beyond what the market is already doing. 
you know, which we've already been highlighting for months and months and months is already, you know, risky from a policy point of view, you know, just letting the market sort of, uh, you know, dictate that volumes are going to show up is, 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 is probably not a great way to go. Um, I think there's some, you know, but, but even simple matters like that, right? I mean, yeah. Now, there was a good side. There were a German representative at a, a recent conference we, that we uh, heard from, and they do seem to be slowly working their way toward what the U.S. LNG developers need. Long, you know, pushing toward fifteen-year contracts or twenty with flexibility. It sounded like there was a me- meeting of the minds was starting to come together. Of course, that's just a government representative. You don't know what's the, how the whole thing's going to come out, but it was. It seemed encouraging to me, anyway. Well, I think at, at the end of the day here, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I do think that we are we are confronted with with several issues, which is that our, you know, and arm. I mean, you and you and you and me, you know, the two of us, you know, the uh, you know our, our opinion here on 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 some urgency, at least on the supply side, I think is hindered by the fact that uh, you you <laughs> you know making that supply materialize quickly is is a uh, is a, is a challenge. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, but I do think we are still, you know, still finding some fault with the, with the speed and urgency with, with, which, with which other policies, you know, could have been implemented to, to ease the situation. And, and maybe, you know, uh, from a, a wartime policy perspective, you know, maybe that consumer protection piece, uh, you know, you know, maybe that is, is what it is. Now that doesn't really help on the supply demand side of things, but uh, but certainly it's hard to fault uh, you know any government for for wanting to to implement protections for its for its uh, uh, you know for its people. I, I, ironically, uh, uh, and it's a little late to discuss, but the uh, uh, the previous UK uh, Prime Minister Truss went for uh, a, an approval of fracking in England combined with sort of a price cap on consumers. So it was kind of the, a Band-Aid followed by a longer term idea. I don't know where those policy things have landed with the change in, in uh, administration again. But that was kind of I think that's what you're going to see a little bit more of is where they try to do the long thing uh, term at the same time, trying to do the short term Band-Aid to kind of cover themselves. So. And I think that's what it's I think that's that's the way it's looking right now. And with uh, with a lot of uh, with a lot of gas and storage. Uh, you know, the, with with the with eyes looking at uh, replenishing that storage after the winter, and ensuring that uh, there are enough FSRUs, uh, you know, being installed. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know new pipelines are going to be difficult, but we've certainly seen plans for incremental supply through existing pipelines. So that's that's something. Um, and uh, and I, I think what really I think the way we wrap this up is. Is is asking a question that we've been asking for several weeks now, which is, uh, you know, about the uh, the durability of of some of that demand pullback, uh, which uh, which will be helpful, and and certainly, you know, conservation has been on the it's been on the docket there, but um, you know, but voluntary conservation, you know, might not be enough. Perhaps that is uh, that's another area for uh, you know for for policy prescription, and and that might actually turn out to be rationing if if things go sideways this winter. <laughs> So, um, you know, but I, I think I think with that we're we're running short of time. But but Mike, I mean, this is a really interesting discussion here on on policy, and and uh, and hopefully we have illuminated, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the pitfalls and some of the you know some of the reasons to look up you know uh, you know to look forward to uh, the sort of policy prescriptions. We have another fourteen months of uh, podcasts on this subject, at least another fourteen months till next winter. 
Um, uh, thanks, Ian, for, for, uh, for that. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com. 